it's perfect. I mean, how many of you would like to lay down on your pew in here on a Sunday morning? I've seen some of you do it. So anyway, she said, can you flip the screen? And I almost flipped the screen at 50 miles an hour when I couldn't figure it out, but uh, she comes over and click, 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 it's done. You young people make me sick. That's all I know. No, thank you, Deanna, for doing that. We normally use Pastor Jeff's phone. He's away this week, and so we'll be praying for him during his time away uh, that he gets recharged, rejuvenated, and, and just gets a little bit of a break. He's been under a lot these past few weeks with all that's going on, and so be praying for Pastor Jeff during this time. Take your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 28. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. I won't be exhaustive in recovering the ground that we've already covered. But in Acts chapter 28, what I wanted to drive home last week is the book of Acts ends with Acts chapter 28. Of course, it's Luke's account of what was taking place by the Acts of the Holy Spirit. We often title this, and it's probably in your margins at the front of your book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. It's not the Acts of the Apostles. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It's what God was accomplishing through those apostles, but we can't take credit for the work God does. That's plagiarism. And therefore, we must say that God is the one that has done all of these works that we just read about in the book of Acts. And it comes to a close in chapter 28. My title of the message is Acts 29. And what Acts 29 is, is what, what is the work of the Holy Spirit through you? You're still the church. You're still infilled, indwelt by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Surely the work of the Holy Spirit is not over. Surely God is still accomplishing through those that are called the bride of Christ, even in this date. And so let's catch ourselves up by the reading of the word, beginning in verse 16 of Acts chapter 28. Now when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you because of the hope of Israel. I am bound with this chain. Then they said to him, we neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you, but we desire to hear from you what you think. Concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning until evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. 
So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn. So that I should heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. And they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed, had a great dispute among themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concerned the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbade him. There's a few words that stood out in that reading, and I hope they stood out this Sunday a little more than last Sunday, having spent some time in this section. And some of those words included the hope of Israel and the kingdom of God. Those are two concepts that are in that part of Scripture, and it deals with the hope of Israel going all the way back to Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant, and, and, and you will be the father of many nations. In your seed, the world will be blessed. And, and so that's a foundational covenant that God struck with man through the representative Abraham in that day. And, and we know that the hope of Israel grew and increased through God's miraculous care and provisions over Israel, through his deliverance of them through the sea and through the sand that God's increase of the nation of Israel grew into a mighty nation and and God had set them up to be a theopany to serve and walk with God we also see the kingdom of God and and that concept is in this section of scripture that the kingdom of God was God's representatives on the earth living out the attributes of God himself living out the decrees that God had also Given And they were to be that representative of both the hope of Israel and the kingdom of God. And the hope of Israel was to be in a seed that was to come. Israel was destined and designed for that. But they fell. They fell into captivity. They fell into rebellion. All of those things took place in the nation of Israel. And their failure did not stop the promise of God. It did not delay the satisfaction of the kingdom. It did not decrease the glory that was to be shown through God's representatives. That's why there was another seed given to Abraham that is not like you and me. Another representative of the kingdom of God that is not frail in the flesh like we are. Uh, Another image of God himself that is not marred like the image that God has given us it's an image of perfection and that image is Jesus Christ he is the seed of Abraham Isaiah 49 1 through 6 says listen O coastlands to me and take heed you peoples from the far from afar the Lord has called me from the womb now I want you to pause and ask this question as we continue reading this scripture passage as you see it on the screen, and we read it together. Whenever you hear that one has been called from afar, ask yourself this question. Be like an owl and say, who? 
That just came to you. That was a terrible dad joke. I get it. Who is this speaking of? And as we read it, the Lord has called me from the womb. Who? Continue reading. From the matrix of my mother, he has made mention of my name. And he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has hidden me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver, he has hidden me. And he said to me, you are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vain. Yet surely my just reward is with the Lord and my work with God. And now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back so that Israel is gathered to him for I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord and my God shall be my strength indeed he says is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth who is that scripture speaking of? I believe it's speaking of Jesus Christ. I believe it's speaking of a seed that's to come, to be all of those things, to bring Jacob back. God is not done with Israel. We are not a replacement of Israel. The church does not swoop in on the scene and become the glory of God expressed that he had hoped for with Israel because Israel fell. God does not break his covenant. And Israel is still destined to be the expression of the glory of God as God ordained them to be in the beginning. The church is simply added in to the vine, grafted in, as Paul later says. And so the hope of Israel is still the seed of Abraham. Jesus is his name. Galatians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to the seeds, as of many, but to the seed, as of one, who is Christ. Paul's message that he's preaching here in Acts chapter 28 is about the kingdom of God. And it's Jesus that brought the kingdom of God near. It's Jesus that is the very perfect representative of the kingdom of God. My friends, your Acts 29 story, it's about the kingdom of God. It's about the nearness of God to the world around you through the person of Jesus Christ that I hope and pray you've received into your heart, that I hope and pray you're walking with on a daily basis faces Jesus brought the kingdom of God near as evidenced by the scribe you remember the scribes question uh, our, our great worship pastor this morning Scott Hagans alluded to that question when they said what is the greatest commandment of all the scribe asked this question and Mark records it this way Mark records that Jesus says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart soul and mind you shall love your neighbor as yourself and the scribe responds in mark's account of it and the scribe says oh yeah a paraphrase here but he says oh yeah that's greater than all the sacrifice we could possibly give and jesus's response to that response was this you're very near the kingdom of god 
In other words, he's operating within the paradigm, within that preset understanding of the nature of God that God would have us operate in. You are an act of the kingdom of God, and it's about the kingdom. That's your Acts 29. It's also about reconciliation unto that kingdom. Reconciliation unto that kingdom. What does it mean to be reconciled? That means you're going your own way, doing your own thing. And if you need to have a change brought about in order to go the right way and do the right thing, you make that change and you're reconciled in the right direction. Now, when we're talking about being reconciled unto that kingdom, that means we've been transgressing the laws of that kingdom. We've been operating under our own authority, under our own laws, under our own direction, and we have not been yielding ourselves to that kingdom in and of itself. And I say to you all we have to be reconciled not only to the person of Jesus Christ but unto the laws of the kingdom of God itself and those laws are love your neighbor as yourself love your Lord your God with all your heart soul and mind those are the primary two but if we're not reconciled to walk in that way we're still walking far from the kingdom of God we must be reconciled to the kingdom of God the presence of of the kingdom of God is academic if you're not reconciled to it. I may have preached that first point two Sundays in a row and many of you said, yeah, the kingdom of God, representative of the kingdom of God. I can see that with Abraham. I can see that with Israel. I can see that Christ is the perfect representative of the kingdom of God. And the church is the representative of the kingdom of God. And I'm supposed to be the representative of the kingdom of God. And many of you would go, hey, man, that's great. That's right. We used to even have something called royal ambassadors, that you're an ambassador for Christ. But it's all academic. It's all just learned knowledge if you in and of yourself are not reconciled to the kingdom of God and the principles of the kingdom of God. If you can just give a hearty head assent without the heart understanding of being yielded to the kingdom of God, it means nothing. And you're only reconciled to the kingdom of God through the person of Jesus Christ. That's the only way. No other name given under heaven by which man might be saved. And it's that salvation that brings you into alignment with the kingdom of God. Listen, I want you to hear very closely. Reconciliation doesn't begin with your sin. I've heard the statement made, and, and I don't completely disagree with the heart of the statement, but the statement is, I'm a sinner, I did my part to be saved. Jesus did his part to save me. I trust Jesus. I don't completely disagree with that statement. But God's glory is not about your sin. It's not dependent upon your reconciliation. It's not dependent upon your repentance. God's glory is God's glory. And we do nothing to make it bigger than what it already is. All we do is we simply walk into the presence of the Lord, having been cleansed of our sin. But it's not really about your sin. It's about God's presence. About the fact that Emmanuel, God with us, has come. You go back to the birth 
of Christ and the announcement of that birth. And in Luke chapter 1, in verse 28, And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. What conviction of sin had been given at that point? What payment for the penalty of sin had been demonstrated at that point? At that point, nothing. It was just the arrival of the birth of Christ. And at the arrival of the birth of Christ, the most important thing is simply that the Lord is with you. You continue on reading that in verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in the womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the son of the highest, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. If you think, man, things are tough. The world's coming against the church. I don't know how the church is going to survive. I don't know with what's going on here locally how the church is going to add an increase in the days to come. You have just shown everybody by statements like that your view of the sovereignty and power of God. When Jesus said, it's my church, I'll build it, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it, let me tell you something. God is not in heaven going, do you see what they're doing in America? Do, do you see the liberal elitists that they're putting in powerful positions in America? Do you see the abortion industry growing by leaps and bounds because of what they're doing in America? Do you see? God's not wringing his hand thinking the church is about to implode and die. Matter of fact, knowing God... I know he's in complete control. And knowing God, I know that there's a smile on his face knowing that a refining fire might be just what the church needs. The power of such a church is evidenced in Acts chapter 1 through 28. And we've seen glimpses of the power of such a church exercised from century 1 to century 21. But my friends, God's not worried about what his church is going to be because his kingdom still has no end. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why would he say that? Well, because Jesus' ministry was about to begin. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, for this is he who is spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And in Matthew chapter 4, the next chapter after that, beginning in verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this goes all the way back to Isaiah chapter 9. For unto us a child is born, unto us is a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David, and over his kingdom 
to order it and establish it with the judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of the host will perform this. We, we pass over that last statement quite often. The zeal of the Lord of the host will perform this. Who's in charge? And he wants the kingdom of God, which is still in effect, to be lived out through your life. He wants the evidence of the kingdom of God to be exhibited through your actions and reconciliation to God's kingdom must be what we walk in in order for that to happen. And oh, by the way, it's through Jesus. He is God with man. The question is, is he God with you? Have you trusted Jesus and said, yes, I receive the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he is the presence of the kingdom of God? And have you yielded yourself to walk in allegiance to the kingdom of God in and through your days, or is it still about you? It's all academic until you apply it. And when you apply it and you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior to that simple question, Will you receive Christ? Then the kingdom of God doesn't become a reality until that happens in your life. I love what Paul says. Paul, or what Luke records of Paul in Acts chapter 28. Some believed, some weren't persuaded. My brothers and sisters, if you've trusted Jesus, that means you believed and were persuaded that you needed the kingdom of God. But is everyone in here persuaded about the things that have been spoken in the truth of the gospel? Are you persuaded that there even is a kingdom of God? Are you persuaded that you are now a citizen of the kingdom of God. It's about the kingdom. And it's about reconciliation to that kingdom. And lastly it's about time. Look at verses 30 and 31. In Acts chapter 28. And Paul dwelt two whole years. In his own rented house. And received all who came to him. Preaching the kingdom of God. And teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence. And no one forbidden him. Two years. Two years. He doesn't stop. He, he just brought the leaders of Israel together within this hearing in the Roman uh, governmental structure. He just exposed to them the kingdom of God is for the Jews. God's not done with them. But oh, by the way, it's for the Gentiles too. And that's when they closed their ears and they stopped listening and they walked away. Perhaps Paul didn't know his target audience. Perhaps he should have changed his story just a little bit to not offend people. Perhaps he, he should have just simply made it a little bit more palatable for the leaders of Israel. You see, blasphemy is when you cover the truth with lies. Because God is truth. And he's given us truth. 
And if we do anything to take away from that which reveals God, then we've been the ones that shaded his glory with lies. And I think that's blasphemous. Not to present the whole truth of God. Paul wasn't going to do that. For two years, he kept the narrative. This is who Jesus is, this is what he did, and this is why he did it. Jesus is the Son of God. He died to forgive sins. Oh, because his glory is more precious than even the forgiveness of sins. And by the way, the kingdom of God is now with us. He preached that and preached that and preached that for two whole years. Nobody forbid him. Which tells me this, being under house arrest, he had audiences. People came. And they said, you got to hear what this guy's preaching. If you're telling the truth about God, there's going to be people that don't, don't agree. We saw that earlier. But if you're telling the truth about God, there's going to be people that will crowd wherever you're telling it to hear what God has to say. You don't have to build the crowd. All you have to do is tell the truth. If you build the crowd, you're going to get what you get. But if God builds it, you're going to get what he wants. People came and they listened. Now, we don't know much else of what went on in Paul's ministry for those two years. There's not many events recorded, at least scripturally. There's not many events recorded. We know he wrote some letters. We know he sent those out. But as far as what we get in the book of Acts with miracles and miracles and, and travels and teachings and stonings and, and, and being ran out of town, we don't get that in these next two years of Paul's lives. He writes some letters. He sends them out to churches. But that's about all we know. Matter of fact, we don't really know how he died. Church legend has he was beheaded during the Neronian persecution. Nero came in, took power, and started stomping out the Christians. We have a few people that report that. But we don't know. You don't know a lot. But I can promise you this. During those two years, where the records are relatively quiet, Paul presented, through his life and through his words, the kingdom of God. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't what he had probably envisioned himself. It wasn't probably what he desired. Friends, don't ever stop teaching the kingdom of God. I don't care if you think things are perfect or if you think things are on a downhill slide in your life. If you think these are your better days or if you think these are your worst days, only do one thing. Preach the kingdom of God. Let people know that you are a citizen of an eternal glory that does not fade away, does not pass away, does not rust or corrode. Let people know that there is a dynamic of citizenship and laws that you walk under that aren't created by man, but created by God himself. And your pleasure in walking in those laws is not to obey some rule, but it's to simply please your dad. To let your father know, through my actions and behaviors, I love you. That's being a citizen of the kingdom of God. I believe Paul did all of that. 
But I will tell you this, his death and events were recorded somewhere. They weren't recorded here in Acts chapter 29. And there's not going to be a Luke that comes behind you and writes your Acts 29 passage down either. But those events are recorded. Turn back with me, if you will, to Revelation chapter 20. I'm actually going to pick up in verse 11. of Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. In heaven, there's a set of books, of ledgers. And God records the actions and heart attitudes of life, of everyone's life. And there's coming a day that those books are going to be open. But oh, I want you to pay attention to the words in verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great. When you read the word dead, let me tell you something, what that means. That means those people that don't have life. Those people who have not been born again. That have not been regenerated by the power and presence of God. That's where I see dead falling in. And those dead that have not been born again, they're standing before God. And there's going to be an accounting given for their lives. And those books were open. And, and they're looked through. And they're Here's the works that they've done in and through their lives. They're recorded in those books. And they're found wanting. Because their righteousness does not rise to the threshold of the righteousness of God. There's another book for cor correlation that's opened. And it's the book of life. And in that book of life, there's names. You see, these aren't the dead that are recorded in the book of life. These are the living that are recorded in the book of life. And when the book of life is open, just for correlation, your acts, your righteousness, all the deeds that you've done are being compiled and contributed to the judgment that's about to come. And guess what? I'm looking at those, and your, your name doesn't rise up to the level of God's righteousness, but let's correlate to the book of life because you see in the book of life are written those people that have trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and his righteousness has been imparted to those people that have trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And oh, I see Terry, your name's here. Oh, that means you've risen by the blood of Jesus to the threshold of righteousness to be included in the kingdom of God. Dal, your name's here. That means you've risen in righteousness by the blood of Jesus to be included because you reach the threshold, not of your works, but by His. Jim, your name's here. Sarah, your name's here. Leah, your name's here. 
and then back to the books of works. And those names not found written in the book of life are judged on the works that they have because that's all they have. You see the kingdom of God in one hand, the kingdom of self in the other. Which one are you serving? For if you're serving self, those acts will never rise to the threshold of the righteousness of God. But oh, if you're walking in the kingdom of God, having trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Acts 29 story that you might write with your life, really all that matters is do you know Jesus? And are you walking with him? Because that's really all that needs to be recorded. There'll be other things recorded. But the primary thing, have you trusted Jesus? Are you walking in that kingdom? And are you a citizen forever and ever and ever of his righteousness? There will be no end. I'm excited about that. Because all that's happening in this country, it's going to come to an end. Every person is going to give an account of their works one day. I'm glad the account I get to give is Jesus. That's the only accounting I need. I like it short and simple. Let's pray. Father, I pray that everyone in the sound of my voice today has trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but I also know in a group, there's those that have not. There's those that have trusted in their own righteousness, in their own works, and in their own ways. Father, I pray those that have trusted are living out their citizenship in your kingdom by presently living out the acts of the Holy Spirit that you would have us do that we're living for the kingdom of God and that we're living with a heart of reconciliation and that we're living to redeem the time that we receive each and every day. And so, Father, yes, it's important we have an Acts 29 story. But the most important thing is that we have a salvation story, that we became citizens of the kingdom of God by being admitted by the blood of Jesus. And if there's anyone here today that does not have that story, I would pray that today they would turn to you and trust in you for forgiveness of sin and reconciliation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.